Hello and welcome to this week's Sports Zone. My name is James Sweetham and we've got an hour of fantastic solvent sporting chat. First things first, I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Parkinson. How are you doing, mate? Right, James. Yeah, good. All good. Ready to talk all things sporting solvent with you. And also, Devil in the Detail podcast host, Paul Whiteside. Good evening, lads. How are you both doing? Okay. Yeah, fantastic. Now, first things first, we're going to talk about the boxing. Unfortunately, due to the scheduling this week, we're going to have to uh, miss out Fury and Wilder due to the fact that we're having to record a little bit earlier than usual. But his cousin has got a big fight coming up this weekend. Huey Fury is back out in action against Christian Hammer. And Huey has had a bit of an interesting career. He's sort of never had that bridging gap fight. He's gone from journeyman and then straight to world level against the likes of Pulev, Povetkin, Parker, and it's always been a step too far for him. But in his last fight, he fought Marius Vak. In this fight, he's fighting Christian Hammer. And for me, Paul, it feels like he's finally getting in those bridging gap fights. So when he does go back up to world level, he can potentially compete because he'll have the experience. Yeah, he certainly will. And this fight against Christian Hammer is going to give him that experience as well. It's going to be a test for him. You know, He's probably not fought anybody of Hammer's... Um, yeah, ability, shall we say, up to now. You know, Hammer's been in with some good fighters, hasn't he? Like Spavetkin and Luis Ortiz in the in the recent history. And uh, quite a well-schooled fighter, isn't he? And, uh, you know, a tough, tough fighter as well. And this will be a test for Fury, you know, to, to see where he's at. You know, he's probably, I wouldn't say Hammer was at world level, but he's probably in and around... Um, in the round European level, definitely, you know, he got to go back about six or seven years and he fought Tyson Fury, didn't he, Christian Hammer? So he's been in been in with some big names and, and got some good scalps on his record as well. So this will be, as I said, a test for uh, for Huey Fury. He's got wins over the likes of Erkin Tepper, David Price, a big British fighter. Do you think if he does get the win here, he can make a bit of a statement? Or do you think those at world level will always view Huey as a bit of a step beneath? Um... This is this is a big fight for him. As I said before, you can only take one fight at a time. He's got time on his side as well. He's still relatively a young man, and it's about building and and getting up to that level. We've seen it with with fighters in, in recent weeks who who've been good at European level, and and, and the, the natural stepping stone is to go on to, to to world level. So I think this fight really for me is is a European level sort of fight. You get past this one, and then I wouldn't say you could start looking at world sort of world title fights just yet. But it's all about building your you know building your arsenal and, and building your record and, and just building your career really you can only beat who's in front of you and, and as you go you're going to learn on the job and, and I think that's what, what fighters like Huey have got to do so you know he's only going to build that by by fighting against different people and getting different results getting that sort of ring toughness and that's what comes by fighting guys like Hammer I mean you know he, he's a well-schooled fighter as I said before he's what in his mid-30s now had, a lot, had quite a lot of fights and had a lot of fights against people who've gone on to, to fight in world titles so he's, he's got experience and and it's going to be a test for, for, for Fury. But if he can come through this one and, you know, and impress, it's only going to uh, enhance his, uh, his way up the rankings. Sky Sports had a bit of a disaster with the first show, it's fair to say, with Chris Eubank Jr. pulling out on the day of the fight with his opponent pulling out due to not being licensed because of medical records. And luckily, David Avenician stepped into that main event slot. He put away Liam Taylor in just a couple of rounds, but it still wasn't the main event that Sky Sports were after. Do you think Huey Fury versus Christian Hammer is a good Sky Sports main event or not? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I think it'd be a good fight. I mean, it was a shame with it with the with the Eubank fight. I mean, everyone was looking forward to that. And well, I say it right, David Avenician's a, 
you know, a very popular fighter in this country now. You know, he's I know he's not from this country, but he's sort of an adopted Englishman now with his trainer, Carl Greaves, isn't he? And they do a, a tremendous job there. It's a, a really nice story, that. And uh, I thought Liam Taylor was a local lad, comes from where, just round the corner from me, actually. I thought he'd give a good account of himself, but was just just, just um, outdone there. So uh, it was a shame, that one, with, with you back stepping out. But I thought those two sort of uh, gave a good, uh, you know, a good, a good fight. But uh, yeah, Hammer and Fury, I think, yeah, I think it could be. I think it could be a really good fight between those two. I think they'll definitely, uh, both their styles will marry up together. And I think you might see, I can't see that fight going the distance. I think that could be a bit of a shootout between the two. And, you know, that's what people like to see. Don't they like to be entertained and they like to see people throwing shots and uh, gunslinging, as they say. So uh, so I can see that happening. I think Huey Fury needs to come up with a big statement, doesn't it? Come up with a big win. So, um, you know, this is an opportunity for him now to do that. In the co-main event, Savannah Marshall is defending her world title against 16-0 Lolita Mazea. And for me, Paul, Savannah Marshall is in a different world to a lot of these female fighters because she carries genuine one-punch knockout power. And do you think she could prove herself to be the most entertaining female fighter on the planet? She could. She could, yeah. I've been very impressed with what I've seen of her so far. And, you know, there's some, some tremendous uh, lady fighters in that division. And, and, and around the country at the moment, and the silent assassin, as they as they call her, has been been tremendous, haven't you? In, in the a recent fights, you know, going back to a, a fight against Maria Lindbergh, I think it was in was it in April, sort of April May uh, this year, and she's had some tremendous fights. And and yeah, I think she's uh, she could go all the way. Definitely, this is this fight's going to be tough for her, but I think you know. I think she's a step above her opponent, despite her opponent's record of 60 and all. I don't think she's fought anybody of Savannah's level. And I think she'll she'll find that the power that she possesses in that fight will be tough to tough to withhold, really. You know, in, in the recent fights, you've seen her be able to walk through people because she's that she's that tough. So uh, this is going to be a test for her opponent. And I think I can only see Marshall coming through this one. Lewis Ritson is also on the bill, back in his hometown in Newcastle. It's a bit of a fall from grace for him because he's been a big headliner on Sky Sports in recent times. But in his last fight, he was knocked out by Jeremiah Ponce. The fight before, he had a split decision victory over an aging Miguel Vasquez, although a lot of people felt he lost that fight. Do you think there's still a bit of a chance for Lewis Richton to revitalise his career, or do you think his best days are done? Well, he came on the scene, didn't he, a couple of years ago, and we all thought he was going to be uh, the the next big thing, really, didn't we, Lewis Richton? He had some, some really big victories against some... You know some promising, uh, some some promising British fighters, and took that British title. Then, if you remember back, his victory over Joe Murray, and then he defended against Scott Cardle, Paul Ireland Jr. had some good victories there. And I think it was the Francesco Patera defeat, you know, in the European title fight that, that sort of set him back really. Since then, he's had a good couple of good wins since then, though. As you said, the the Varquez one was a bit of a bit of a laboured win, but the Robbie Davis Jr. one, I was impressed with him in, and obviously he, he was beaten by Ponce in, in the last fight, so I think he's still got time on his side, he's only 28, isn't he, and he's proved before he can he can mix it, so uh, I'd like to see him do well, he's, he's always a good um, ticket seller and, and an entertaining fighter up there, the fans in Newcastle love him, don't they, so I'd like to see him get back on it, but he's one of those, he's a bit of a crossroad fight for him, if he's to lose this one, you, your two defeats on the spin, then he just start dropping down the pecking order again, so he needs a big performance and a big victory and I hope he gets it now that's all the boxing for today I'm going to throw it back over to Rob to break down all things rugby league yep so let's start rugby league now Paul the season the Super League season 
and the Rugby League season has both finished. We've got two local sides in the area, Paul. We're going to start with uh, Salford Red Devils. They finished 11th in the Super League um, this season. Um, how would you describe Salford's season? Um, I'd probably say 11th is disappointing, Rob. I think we, we expected, or the supporters wanted wanted better than that, didn't they? But if you go back to the, the, the 2020 season, we didn't seem to do that well for me that season. I know Wembley glossed over that, didn't it? Get into Wembley, get to the Challenge Cup final. But in the league, we was we was okay. I think we we did okay. We had a poor start to the season, and obviously there was a pandemic in the in the break, and we came back and had a, a decent run towards the back end of the season. So it's been since the grand final. It's been two sort of underachieving seasons, as whereas the league um, is concerned. I think last season under a new coach under Richard Marshall, it took us a while to sort of work out what our best side was and what Richard's best side was. We were hampered by a lot of injuries, hampered by a lot of suspensions and ill-discipline and one thing after another really. So it was a frustrating season. I think frustration is probably the word I'd use to describe the season really. We showed flashes of, of brilliance at times, you know, had some good results. Um, particularly the, the whole game at home I thought it was tremendous in that we, we gave Warrington a fantastic game away for home good victory against St. Helens as well so we did show show signs of potential and I think certain players in the side really really improved towards the back end of the season there was a lot of promise there but obviously then Richard Marshall has, has parted ways with the club which is a, which is a setback for us and uh, we've got to you know go back come on stronger next season now under a new coach yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think it's a kind of a, when looking back, uh, it was a transition period. Rob was Richard Marshall coming in, uh, Ian Watson departing. Um, you know, the, the the players have to kind of get used to him, even though he has sort of departed in 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 the you know the the time since uh, the season's finished, which is a bit of a disappointment. But you know, these players have to realise that what, what the situation is, they'll continue to go forward, which is important because obviously Silver Red Devils are an opportunity club and, you know, they give players opportunity to play at the highest level and I'm sure these players will be wanting to, to show that they can play at the very top level. Yeah, they certainly will. I think there's there's, there's some good players in the side, Rob. You know, we've, main, we've maintained, uh, sorry, what's the word? Not maintained. Um, no, it's not maintained. What's the word when you keep hold of somebody oh, I can't remember Ken Seal is, is a sign for us I think we've kept all the Ken Seal. Um I think that's been a great signing for us and one we can we can really build on for next season we've got some exciting players coming in uh, you know Ryan Briley's coming in uh, Ryan's probably one of those players that's never never really hit the lights in, in Super League he was pretty good for Lee last season but when he went to Huddersfield he, he, he struggled to get in their side and I think he's got a point to prove and I think he's a talented player and I think Salford could be that place where where he actually feels at home and, and, and does well in Super League so good support player and I think he'll slot into the system really well there's players around him there he can work well with like of Chris Atkin people like that in the half so Brody Croft is coming in as well from Brisbane Broncos I think he's a really really exciting sign and if he can link up well with the likes of Atkin and uh, if Higano stays, I'm not too sure that he's staying. But there's, there's some good halfbacks there at Salford, some some good forwards. We've obviously got Sam Luckley who signed a new contract a couple of weeks ago, which is uh, great news for us. I think Sam has, has, has improved as the season's gone on. Real big character off the field as well. You know, always got a smile on his face. Real cool hero on the terraces. Jack Ormerod signed a new contract for us. He's, he's got an awful lot of potential as well. I think he's improved as the season's gone on. So there's players there in the side that there's potential in. Morgan Eskeray at fullback didn't always get in the side last season, but as the season progressed, you know, towards the back end, he came up with some impressive displays. So if he can keep improving and adding to his game, I'm sure he can be another exciting player. So there's there's, there's potential there in that Salford side, Rob. Um, it's just about unlocking that potential now, and, and the new coaches. 
hopefully going to bring his own ideas with him and uh, I'm sure we can have a good a good year. It's going to be tough next season, there's no doubt about that, but um, I'm sure we can do well. Who do you think the stars were of, of this season for Salford? Um, I, I think Ken Seo has been great for us, even though he's missed a few games, he's been tremendous the games he's played. I think Kristin who coming back in, you know, he missed a few games due to uh, his misdemeanours and what have you, but I thought he did really well. I thought Sam Luckley was great. I think Chris Atkin is is an unsung hero. You know, Chris Atkin, for me, plays above his weight every week. You know, tremendous player, tremendous grafter. I thought Harvey Levette, he, he, he's, Harvey Levette's a very, very talented player, very talented player, but he struggled with injury and it's a shame really because a lot of the time I think he was playing through injury and, uh, you know, if he had been fully fit, fit, I think he'd have been, been even better for us. So, um, so th- those are the kind of players I thought had, had really good season. Two Ilal here showed some some flashes of brilliance at times. Probably wasn't as as consistent as he would have liked to have been, but uh, but no, he he done really well. I think Ellis Robson came in as well on loan from Warrington. I thought he did really really well, and um, you know we'll have to watch this space to see where he goes. I'd love him to stay at Salford. So so yeah, there's there's quite a lot of players. Jack Armand I was impressed with. You know the start of the season it took him a while to get going, but I thought I thought he was 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 really really good for us and. I think I mentioned Chris Atkin and Morgan Esgray impressed me towards the back end of the season as well. And got the likes of Reese Williams, who's who's missed a consistent for us. Joe Burgess came in as well after he returned from injury and started to started to look the part. So we'll be looking for a big twenty twenty two as well. Yeah, obviously you've named a lot of Salford players there. Um obviously if you were gonna put them into like a like a top three, top five, who who would you put as your top five Salford players with twenty twenty? I know what you're asking. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um Oh, I go, I go, Levette. I think I'd have Harvey Levette in there. I think I'd have Chris Atkin in there. I'd have Ken Seo in there. Um, how many is that? Three, four, yep. three, three. Um, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Sam Lockley. Yeah, I'd have Sam in there. And I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably have Sam in there, and maybe Jack Armand as well. I think Jack, Jack did really well. Um, I think Andy Acker showed showed a lot of promise as well. But no, I think I think I go with Jack and Sam. I think they really impressed me. I, I think Sam in particular, um, with Sam coming up from from uh, League One, playing for Newcastle Thunder and coming into Super League, I think he he took him a while to get into the side. But once he did get into the team, he, he really impressed. His offload game was good. He's got a tremendous attitude. And I'm really, really excited to see how Sam goes in 2022. I think he could be a real top signing for us. I think he could be a real top forward if he keeps learning and progressing the way he's going. Because he's one of those players that... That seems eager to learn, you know, and, and listens to the coach, and uh, he's good to have around the dressing room. I think his attitude's first class, and I think he's going to be a real top player for Salford. What was the biggest disappointment for you in twenty twenty one? Um, I think the Richard Marshall situation was disappointing. Um, just the way it happened, we wasn't expecting it. it was a bit. I, I, I mean, speaking from a personal point of view, I was very shocked when I heard the news. I wasn't expecting that at all. So um, probably disappointing that because everybody likes continuity, don't we? Uh, we seem to be getting a bit of continuity there with Richard and obviously going to next season, he signed his own players for next year and it was going to be interesting to see how he dealt with that and, you know, to now be starting again. Obviously, coaches and players move on, but it, it, well, it did seem disappointing that for him because, you know, you want people to do well, don't you? You take to the people, you know, I certainly do when players come in and coaches come in, you want to get behind them and give them your full support and when they go and leave under circumstances like that, it, it, it sort of hurts. So so that, that was a bit disappointing for me. My, my disappointment was that we didn't really kick on uh, this season. Obviously, with a new coach, uh, should bring new ideas, should bring momentum. 
but we didn't quite do that, did we, Paula? And that's the the thing that puzzles me about the Richard Marshall um, departure. Is it the fact that the club thinks you know this guy has taken us as far as he can go, or is it the fact that they've gone well, 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 he didn't go, he didn't do what we wanted him to do. We'll get someone else in to to do it. Yeah, maybe. I think looking back to 2019 when we got to the grand final, I thought you know that that was a tremendous season of Ryan Watson and. You know, that run that we went on to the grand final. But I think the Wembley appearance in 2020 seemed to paper over the cracks for me. I thought we were pretty poor last season in the league, particularly at the start of the season. We, we lost a lot, awful lot of home games under Watto and we, we were poor. So getting to Wembley, I think, papered over a poor season last year. There were signs last season that we weren't doing as well. We'd not made the progress from 2019. We'd lost some good players, though. You know, Joey Lussick went, and then we lost Jackson Aston as well, didn't we? Nia Levels left last season. So, you know, you lost some real, real pivotal players throughout the side, and you've only got to look at the replacements that have come in that no disrespect to them, but were they as good as the players that we lost? Probably not. So, when you're losing players, you know, around your spine, it's difficult when the players come in and out as good. So, so he's, he's took us a while, and I think it, it does take players' time to, to adapt and things like that. So, so yeah, and, and now with us losing the, the coach as well, it, it all depends how, how the new coach can get players to gel and get them playing to his um, to his ways. So, so yeah, it's been disappointing, but obviously the club have made the decision now, and you know Richard Marshall's gone, so it's that that's the end of that era now, and we've got to look forward to a new era. As I said before, coaches and players move on, don't they? So, you know, we, we as a supporters and people who get behind the club, we've got to stick by them and uh, and, and stick by them in 2022 and back them as best we can. Is that the downside of being an opportunity club that if you don't bring the same quality of player in who are looking for the opportunity, then the opportunity club? sort of structure doesn't function like you want you want it to have Salford been lucky in the likes of finding Jackson Hastings and Joey Lussick let's say for example uh, because obviously we've not been able to replace them with the same quality of players that we've have now I think with Jackson Hastings I think those sort of players don't come off come around very often I think that was just a bit of a match made in heaven, wasn't it? Um, him and Joey coming over. I think it, it was we were in the right place at the right time. Um, and something like that might only happen sort of every 10, 20 years. Um, so that, that was a difficult one. If you remember back to sort of the late 80s, we had a guy called Paul Shaw who came over, mm-hmm. similar sort of player to... Well, was similar sort of player, you know, came over and was, was excellent in the NRL or, or the Winfield Cup, whatever it was back then. And, uh, you know, the, those sort of players are magic. And we've had a couple of those over the years, but, you know, players move on, don't they? And when a big club like, like Wigan comes in, Carl, then it's difficult for us to compete. And I think, you know, perhaps there was a bit of a hangover going into 2020 after the grand final of 2019. And, Perhaps there was, it was, there was an awful lot of pressure on the club, I think, to, to, to reproduce an expectation from the supporters as well. You know, we've just been to a, to a final. And even in 2020, getting to, the, to Wembley, then the 2021 season under Richard Marshall, there was expectation there again, wasn't it? You've just been to two finals, two seasons running. All right, you've lost them both. But, you know, people want you to do well again. And it's always going to be difficult, that, managing those expectations. And when you don't get that good start, I think sometimes you need that good start, don't you, build that momentum. And it was difficult. Last season was difficult for everybody. You know, there's no crowds there, new players, new coach. And we had a poor start to the season. I think you're always behind the eight ball. Then. Are Salford changing from an opportunity club to a club that's a, a playoff contender? 
not just yet, Rob. I don't think we are just yet. Uh, I think 2022 is a pivotal season for us now. As we're recording this now, we don't know who's been promoted to, to Super League. Do it's going to be either Toulouse or Featherstone Rovers? I mean, the yeah. listeners probably know by now who it's going to be. So, say it's Toulouse, for example. They're going to be spending the full salary cap. So, they're going to be tough to beat, especially at home in, in, in France. So, it, there's going to be no hiding places next season for us, really. I mean, no disrespect for, to Lee, but they sort of propped the league up, you know, last season, didn't they? With, uh, you know, they, they struggled, didn't they? I mean, let's have it right. They didn't have the sort of finances or maybe not the finances, but they didn't have the players that, that they would like to have had, would they? So, um, so we're not going to have that safety net of lead this time. So we need to we need to book our ideas that we've, we've got to be up there. I think before we can start looking at playoffs, we've got to make sure we're consistent. Uh, we're winning our home matches and, and competing in games. Got to get our discipline right. It's going to be a tough year for us. So I think before you start looking at playoffs, you've just got to start edging your way up the table. And who knows? I mean, if it's top six again, why not? I mean, why not aim for six? You know, six out of, out of 12, it's halfway, isn't it? So I think if you win half your matches, you're halfway there, aren't you? So, so yeah, I think we've got to aim for that. But that's, I think that's a work in progress, Rob, you know, getting into the playoffs. Uh, let's talk about our other club, uh, Swinton Lions. Um, relegated from the Championship, finishing 14th. Um, how do you think their season uh, went? Well, they struggled, didn't they? They struggled big time. It took them a long time to, to get that first victory. You know, they lost the coach, Stuart Littler, a real bright spark. Stuart Littler has done a, done a good job at Swinton over a period of time. He's been there a long time. Um, good guy, I think, in rugby league, and um, I hope he gets another job and another opportunity somewhere else because uh, you know he, he served the, a good apprenticeship over the last few years. And disappointed to see Stuart go. Um, as I said at the start of the season, spoke to a few Swinton supporters, and they were telling me they knew it was going to be tough for them. They had an excellent season the year before and really, really done well. And you know they sort of raised the bar as well and raised their expectations. But for, for sides like Swinton and Oldham maybe Sheffield and one or two others in that, that, that championship, it's difficult to compete when you've got teams like Featherstone Rovers and Toulouse who are who are more or less Super League sides in waiting, aren't they? When you look at the, the squad that they've got, I watched Featherstone Rovers against Halifax in the playoffs and some of the players they've got there, I mean, they'd, they'd be looking at getting into Super League teams, you know, they've got some top players, so it's difficult to compete. You've only got to look at the scores this season. Toulouse have sort of hammered everybody they've played. I mean, when we played in that championship, Salford, we've never had it all had our own way. We've, we've struggled in a couple of games, haven't we? Had the odd draw and the odd defeat there, but Toulouse have been like a machine. And then same way of Featherstone have. So difficult for Swinton to compete. Um, it's been a hard year for them. I think as a club now, they've just got to regroup in, in, in League One. And I think they can have a really good year next year in League One, build some momentum and hopefully have a really good season, win more games than you lose, get in the playoffs and get some smiles on faces and get that sort of feel-good factor back at Haywood Road and get get promoted. And then uh, then it's obviously you've got to try again, haven't you, to, to, to compete again in the Championship. But very, very tough league, that Championship. Very, very tough league. And I think sometimes you look at it, it's like three leagues in one when you look at the, the competitiveness and sort of what the teams have, you know, the, the haves and have-nots. Yeah, Stuart Littler uh, was, was sacked, I think, after was it losing 14 games on the spin. Uh, Alan Coleman came in. Um, how do you think he went on uh, when he when he came in as Swinton coach? Yeah, I think he I think he galvanised the team slightly and they, they got a couple of results, didn't they? And uh, sort of started to improve. And, and sometimes that does happen, doesn't it, when you get a new coach? You get that new coach bounce and, you know, he has fresh ideas and, and things like that. I'm not saying for one minute that Alan Cole was a better coach than Stuart Little. He's probably a different coach and had different ideas. And 
you know, I, I felt sorry for Stuart. I really did because I think he's he's a good guy and just wanted him to do well at Swinton. But no, they've got Alan Coleman in now, and I think he's going to be looking at signings for next season. I mean, Swinton looking at recruitment already. They've got some good players in the side already. They can hang on to them. You know, guys like Martin Ridyard who, who knows the knows the lower leagues inside out, doesn't he? He's probably been a shining star for, for Swinton this season. You know, like Sir Rodri Lloyd and Mike Butt, they're good players as well. So they've got the, the spine of a decent side there at Swinton. I think you look at the, the bookmakers, I think they're probably one of the favourites for uh, for that League One title. So hopefully they can uh, can get off to a good start. I think that's what it's all about next season with Swinton, getting that good start and building confidence. Yeah, Lewis Roberts as well, he's a star. Uh, yeah, yeah. Swinton ranks. And I think it's important... Um, that Alan Coleman's able to invest in this squad. Like you said, there's some quality in that team. And I think with a bit of the backing and he's able to pick his men and, and bring them in, take Swinton back to that next level, which is important, I feel, because I think Swinton Lions are a championship club. Um, they just need a bit of investment in the right areas and they'll, they'll go back first time of asking. You only proved that a couple of years ago. They had a tremendous season, didn't they? Sort of finished about ninth or so, so in the table. So they've got to be looking at that now and... You know, maybe get get some links with Salford. You know, a bit of a, a due reg again, something like that. Help each other out. I think we've got to do that with our local sides, haven't we? And uh, I know they do some tremendous work in the in the amateur area this winter. You know, that's a folly lane and, and things like that. So you've just got to keep working. They've made Haywood Road a, a bit of a fortress over the last few years. The the crowds have been pretty decent again this season. So you know, the supporters have just got to stick with it now. And like I said before, they they're going to be one of the favourites this time. So. It's a lot easier to go and watch your team when they when they're winning more games than they're losing. It's difficult when you you get you getting slammed quite a lot. So uh, I'm hoping the 2022 season they're going to be uh, getting some more results and getting some more victories. So let's hope that the recruitment's good. I've not really uh, seen much recruitment up to now. It's been pretty quiet, hasn't it? But I'm sure as the season ends now and we get the grand final out of the way and things like that, there'll be there'll be more signings coming in. And uh, you know it won't be long off before pre-season training starts again. Yeah, I think the highlights of the first written season uh, was a 22-18 away win at Dewsbury. Uh, they beat Sheffield away 34-28. So they are, they are capable of, of winning important big games, uh, Paul. And, and I think, obviously, despite sort of relegation this season, uh, they're, they're going to learn from the experience of, of, of they've gone through and obviously with a new coach coming in and hopefully investment as well, uh, they, can, they can certainly put a team that's going to compete in that uh, League One next season. Yeah, certainly. I think I think League One again is a tough league. It depends um, who. While we're recording this, we still don't know who's, who's come up from the grand final, do we? But I think there's some some good sides down there. You had Barrow down there this season, and Workington Town, Keith Lacougas, Doncaster. They've all really worked for it. North Wales Crusaders were a bit of a dark horse as well. So there's going to be some tough games there for them next season. Some good derby matches as well. You've got Rochdale Hornets in that division. I think Oldham have dropped down as well, haven't they? So some real big derby games there. But, you know, Swinton are going to have to be on their metal because they're going to be one of the fancied sides and teams are going to see them as a bit of a scalp, aren't they, if they turn them over? So it's going to be a tough season for them again. Recruitment's got to be right. You've got to get that spine right to, to your side as well. Let's hope they can keep hold of the likes of Martin Ridyard. I presume he's staying at the club. He, he'd definitely be a player they need to keep hold of. And then and then build it. Like you said, they've got some good youngsters as well. Lewis Roberts is a very, very good youngster. Had a good season, scored plenty of tries this season. So they'll be looking at having a good season in, in League One. Yeah, obviously, with the Rugby League restructuring, with the Super League and the Rugby League trying to get back together. Paul, it's going to be interesting times because obviously with Salford Devils being a Super League club and uh, Swinton Lions now in the uh, the League One, both our sides, either side of this uh, rugby league uh, seesaw, where 
they both need funding. They both need to see be able, be able to have a future. So it'd be interesting to see sort of what happens uh, and what the rugby league and the Super League decide and how it affects both our clubs. Yeah, it's certainly really it's probably going to be an interesting sort of 12, 18 months, isn't it, with how things get restructured. I mean, sometimes but perhaps rugby league, there's, there's, there's too much restructuring because things never seem to last long, do they? There's always something being changed around and... I don't know, perhaps we should just give things a time to, to settle down now and whatever. So we don't really know what's around the corner as a rugby league supporter do, but we've just hope, got to hope both sides have good seasons in 2022. Swinton, as I said, we're looking for promotion. Salford, I don't want to say we want to be fighting against relegation. We want to make sure we can finish as high up that table as we can and don't have to worry about relegation. So uh, I think as long as we can sort of win our home matches and be competitive in games, I'm pretty sure sure we'll we'll be safe and uh, and Swinton will be banging on the door for a promotion. Yeah, obviously, um, the international scene is always important in the off that is when most of the games get played, uh, Paul. It's important, obviously, with the World Cup being cancelled, uh, sorry, postponed till 2022, it's important, obviously, the international teams get an outing and are able to sort of give players a chance because, obviously, with the World Cup, you know, not being played, it's going to impact both the players, it's going to impact the sponsorships, uh, and you're hoping, obviously, uh, next season, uh, they'll be able to play it then. Yeah, definitely. I know England are uh, t- taking it on France, I think, aren't they, in the close season, which will be uh, be good to see. You know, French rugby league has, has gone from strength to strength, hasn't it, the last couple of seasons, you know, with Toulouse doing really well. You've got Catalan Dragons, who've been one of the top sides in Super League as well, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. And Yeah, it's important. These internationals are important, especially because we don't play that many. And with it being the World Cup, uh, you know, hopefully in 2022, we need to be switched on. You know, I've, I've watched quite a lot of the Australian playoff uh, rugby league over the last few weeks in the grand final between Souths and and, uh, and Penrith Panthers who got the who took the the grand final. And you look at some of the players in in Australia, the the Kangaroos are going to be fantastic in that World Cup. They've got so many players to pick from, and it's going to be really really tough to to test ourselves against them. But but that's what it's all about. We need to be switched on for 2022, and you know we want to make that World Cup a real success, don't we? We need to make sure we've got all our players ready and. And yeah, they've, they've got a programme to play against the other sides and get themselves ready. So I think the internationals against France this autumn is going to be a, a good test and a good a good thing to see. Yeah, they faced Jamaica uh, this week, England. Obviously, it'll be a big test. Lots of good players on Jamaica side, uh, like Ben Jones, Bishop, ex-Salford, Winger. Um, so you're just kind of hoping uh, that Shane, Sean... Uh, Wayne gets, uh, you know, the opportunity to give his squad a, a, a going over because these Jamaicans, uh, you know, they, they they know what they're doing. Yeah, it'd be tough. It'd be a tough tough test. You know, any side that plays against England in international rugby league or international sport, they always want to knock you over, don't they, and, uh, and do a number on you. So those players will be desperate to to take that opportunity and take that chance. But I think it's up to the England players to to really go for it and, and just keep as tight as they can and just keep getting the results and build confidence because, like I said before, they don't have to get many sort of get-togethers, do they? They do quite a lot of training together, don't they, on the training camps, but there's not, not an awful lot of rugby league as they play now international rugby league. So any game that they do get, you've got to iron out your, your, iron out your moves and things like that and get your uh, your partnership together because before we know it, the World Cup will be around in 2022 and we need to be ready because, as I said before, Australia, New Zealand... You could throw Tonga into that now. I think Samoa as well. They're all going to be real tough for us to to take on. So it's going to be a real cracking competition. Where, where do you see England's chances in the next World Cup? 
I think they've got a good chance, Rob. I think if we pick the right side, and you know, there's a lot of talent in Super League. You look at some of the players that, we, that we've got over here. There's an awful lot of talent. I think it's just a lot of times just keeping people fit. You'll say, "Oh, such a body's a great player," then he'll get injured or something. Won't we? So if we can keep people fit and, and pick players on form, which is an important thing. I think we can test Australia and New Zealand. I think it'll be tough though because you look at their competition in Australia. It's, it's such a such a a great competition, you know, the, the way that game's played, it's so intense, you know, some of the games over there, the defence, a grand final between South and Penrith, I thought the defence of both sides was absolutely outstanding, you know, the physicality of the players as well, so it's going to be difficult, there's no doubt about that, but, you know, we've pushed them close before, you know, in Test Series and, and World Cup, so uh, we're on our home soil as well, you know, the weather might be a bit of a leveller for us, so I think we've got a good chance, I think it's uh, it's all down to on the day sometimes, but it's definitely going to be tough, it's not going to be easy, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, obviously the Rugby League internationally is kind of put into two categories, you've got Australia and New Zealand as a top category, and then you've got everyone else. Where, where would you put England in the Australian New Zealand category or everyone else? Because the likes, like you say, Tonga, Samoa, England, you know, there's a lot of good teams down that down the side who aren't in that top two. Well, yeah, you've only got to go back to that game a few years ago between Tonga and England. I think Tonga have got better since then as well, haven't they? So I think Tonga, would, it'd be if we were to play Tonga tomorrow, I wouldn't put my mortgage on it that we win. I think they're a good side. So, so yeah, you've got Australia and New Zealand, haven't you? Probably... I think Australia are head and shoulders above New Zealand, to be honest. I think you've got Australia on their own and then perhaps New Zealand and then the rest of the team. So, uh, so yeah, I don't think we're quite up there at their level, but that's what we've got to work towards. You know, you've got to play these 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 matches now, these these friendly games or international games, as you say, and Sean Wayne's got to make sure he picks his right side and, you know, picks the players on form and keeps his tabs on them. We get these training camps done, the, you know, when we all train together and, and just make sure he, he gets all his processes right and, you know, they've got a chance. There's no doubt about that. They've got a chance, but it's a, it's a big, big ask. But, uh, you know, we've got to be optimistic, Rob. Let's have it right. We've got to be optimistic. We can't be going out there, you know, beating before a ball kick. We've got to go out there and uh, hope for the best. And you can only do your best, can't you, at the end of the day? You've got to do your best and whatever happens, happens. How do the other home nations uh, catch up? The likes of Wales and Scotland and Ireland. You know, there's some good players in that in that squad, uh, but they're not at the the level of the likes of England and New Zealand and Australia. They are building. They have got players coming through in our academies and things like that. But it's a slow build, Paul. And, and I'm wondering how long it takes for them to get to that level. It could take a long, a very long time, Rob. I mean, for those nations, I think the more people they've got playing the sport, the better. Uh, the more facilities they've got, the better. I mean, Australia, it's it's difficult because you look at Australia, it's their national sport. You know, how many kids in Australia play rugby league? They've got their weather over there, the training facilities. And it's embedded into them, isn't it? You know, over here, people kick a football around. In Australia, it's, it's a rugby league ball, isn't it? So... It's always going to be difficult to catch the Australians up, but you no, know, you just got to work as hard as you can. There's people in, you know, in Wales, Scotland, Ireland, England, all over the place who are, who are working the soccer, you know, volunteers in the amateur game who are doing the best they can, and that's all you can do. You can only do your best and uh, try and promote the sport as best you can. I mean, this this country's difficult. There's so much going on. Football takes a takes a big slice of everybody, a lot of uh, youngsters' lives, doesn't it? So uh, we can just compete as best we can. And, Hope for the best, really, mate. It's, it's a difficult situation. Is the is the idea to grow the game from the top or the bottom? Grassroots, mate. 
it's always grassroots. You, you've got to grow from the bottom. You've got to get kids playing the sport, haven't you? And uh, amateur sides, and it, it's it all funnels up to Super League, doesn't it? It's a it's a pathway we talk about all the time at Salford, don't we? You've got your pathway with your junior clubs, and then your your players coming in, sort of playing in teenage years and foundations, and then on to sort of under 19s, under 20s, under 21s, and 18, and then up to the Super League. So it all starts when they, they start kicking a ball about and passing the ball about when they're five, six year old. So that's where it all starts for me, and that's you know that's the the progression, isn't it? That 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 ride that ride to uh, to being a, a full time professional player. So the grassroots is absolutely vital. You know, we've got to uh, look after our local sides. You know, Salford is a club. You've got your lo- plenty of local sides around the area. It's vital that you keep good links with those. Vital that you keep good links with the colleges. And, uh, and yeah, get those on site because those players, those young lads uh, are the future of your club. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing, Paul. It's, it's a lot of sort of community-based uh, growth and that's important we've seen that at Salford uh, with the links with the local amateur sides and the colleges and the universities and that's that's how you build a rugby league club um, that everyone's behind and and you've got to applaud the likes of Paul Trainer and Paul King who have masterminded this as long as the likes of Danny Barton who have been involved in that process as well so Salford are kind of working as the as the you know the the, the prototype of what other clubs should be should be following really well, yeah, yeah. If you you look around Super League, you've got like say, say Wigan or say Ellens, the amount of junior clubs in their area, it's probably a lot more than what Salford have got. So, so yeah, that, that that's that's the prototype, as you say. You know, you've got to get the young players playing the sport. Grassroots is absolutely vital. It's vital that we invest money into that. And you can sign big name players from all over the world, but to me, I think your best players will always be players that come through your system. You know that live and breathe the sport, for live and breathe the city of where they come from. So, I think it's vital, vitally important you get that right. And you've got players coming through your system and their families involved in it. It's just it's only going to help to grow your club. Five years, Paul. Super League. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario. Um, the, the best case scenario, I think, for me, is that you've still got a, a healthy competition. Um, you've got clubs that are thriving and doing well and crowds are on the up the worst case scenario is you I suppose worst case scenario is you, we'd have to go part time again because we couldn't afford to to, <clears throat> to pay full time players and I think another worst case scenario is if we get a load of clubs in from random cities where no one's really bothered about rugby league but the Super League just want clubs in those cities we've all heard those rumours before about getting teams in Bristol and here, there and everywhere and you know Exeter or wherever I think we've got you know We've got to stay within our roots. It's all right spreading the sport, but you want to spread the sport where people are actually interested in it. So, um, so yeah, I think we've got to look after clubs and look after the tradition of clubs and just make sure clubs are, are healthy. But I think also there's responsibility for the supporters as well. You know, supporters of clubs need to look after their, their, their town and, and their side because, you know, if you don't, it could disappear. So uh, there's an awful lot of traditional clubs around their area and, you know, you need to, 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 to look after your club, you know, and... Uh, because it won't be there forever if you don't. So, uh, yeah, get behind you. My my message would be get behind your local side and uh, you'll support them best you can. Yeah, I agree with that. Rugby League is a community sport, Paul, and uh, the Salford community has to continue to, to support the team because that's how Salford, both the team and the city, reach the top. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. That's how you get to grand finals and things like and cup finals. You, it's it's a journey. You know, you don't just click your fingers and get to a final. You've got to ride it all the way. And 
and get behind the, the club in the in the darker times as well, haven't you? And then it makes the the good times all all the more sweeter, doesn't it? So uh, so yeah, you got to get to there to the bread and butter games and and stick with them because it, it'll be tough. You know, twenty twenty two is going to be a tough season for us. We all know that, and there'll be times where things don't go right. But uh, but yeah, you got you got to stick with it, and I'm hoping supporters get involved. And we've like I said before, we've made some good signs. You know, Ken Co staying and things like that. So we've made the, the good signing from Australia, Brody Croft, who's an exciting signing. So there's an awful lot to be positive about at Salford, and same goes for Swinton as well. So we've got two local sides there that should have promising, uh, exciting seasons in 2022, and something we should definitely be looking forward to. So, that's all the Rugby League chat, and now we're going to be talking ice hockey, James. Yeah, we most certainly are, and Manchester Storm have two fixtures this weekend. Who do they face, Rob? Yeah, they've got five flyers, uh, both home and away uh, this weekend, James. I think it's really good that, obviously, when they play uh, teams, they, they kind of mix up and play them the same fixture on alternate nights, alternate venues. I think it helps the the competition i think it helps the you know the bit of environment created for both sets of fans to watch their team against the same opposition twice uh, i think it's the kind of thing that uh, really excites the people of ice hockey and the and the world of ice hockey the english hockey league have clubs all over the uk do you think that's a good thing rob I think it is good, James. I think it really is. I think, obviously, like you say, you've got, you got five English clubs, um, three in Scotland, one in Wales, and one in Northern Ireland. And, you know, with ice hockey trying to grow into, like, a majority sport, I think having teams in different parts of the country helps, uh, like Belfast Giants in Northern Ireland uh, and uh, Nottingham in, in the kind of southern part of England. You've got five Flyers um, and Dundee Stars and and Glasgow Clan also in Scotland as well. So you have a you know teams all over the UK, James, and it and it helps spread the word. And obviously with Manchester Storm in in the northwest, uh, you know, hopefully attracting big crowds uh, because obviously you've got a lot of people in Manchester who obviously remember the good old days of Storm uh, at the uh, evening news arena. And you're hoping that they can uh, recreate that magic uh, in a few you know years to come because they've got some great stuff going down there at Ultragum uh, and the Storm Shell in the community. And they're certainly growing the presence uh, in the surrounding areas. Most certainly. And now moving on to the world of football, Rob. And the international break is over and it's back on to the good stuff. And there's a big fixture coming up for Manchester United. They're away at Leicester. And after a 1-1 draw against Everton, a troubling result, not one we were expecting. Do they have a lot of pressure going into this game? Yeah, well, Leicester are a good side, aren't they, James? And, you know, to go away to Leicester to get a result uh, will be a tough ask for Ollie and his men. Uh, but it's a fixture, I think, James, that if you are planning to you know, win the Premier League, you have to go away and win. Uh, you get sort of marked on these kind of games. If you fail to get a result at Leicester, questions will start to build, um, you know, with Ollie. And, you know, as a United fan with in the Ferguson years, his team used to win games like this and that's why they used to win championships and that's why they used to win cups because when the chips were down or the pressure was on they used to be able to nick a result and I think that's what Ole and this team have to learn if they want to go to that next level what do you think James? I mean it's difficult I think we need to learn a lot more I mean it was good that we got that last minute equalise uh, that last minute winner should I say against Villarreal but the pressure is most certainly mounting on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and a criticism I saw after the Everton game was that tactically he's limited would you agree with that assessment Rob 
I'd say so, James. I think with Manchester United, I've always said uh, it's the midfield that's the problem. McTominay, uh, Fred um, aren't good enough for this team. Matic, they're not a Manchester United central midfield. You know, when you look back at the likes of Roy Keane, Paul Ince, you know, players like that used to be able to drag a team forward, break down the play and go. And this team lack an enforcer. And that's the difference between the likes of us, Man City, Liverpool. They have enforcers in that area to win the ball back and recycle. And that's where we struggle. Everyone can see it. And I'm sure Ollie can see it as well. And I think you can tell Ole is, is, doesn't trust them. And that's why he kind of rotates because he hasn't got one he can trust. He put, he put his life on to do that job and be disciplined enough in the central areas to stop the, the passing through the lanes and keep the defence in the midfield tight because we, we see the changes happen, James. And it's, it's, it's easy to see uh, why teams know that's our weak point because they attack that. And it's a, re- a real problem for Ali, but you're kind of hoping uh, that with windows to come, we'll be able to address that. What, what do you think, James? I think that the central defensive midfield at Manchester United does need improving. Fred, you don't think he's good enough. Matic, a better player probably, but he's only really got a good 20 or so minutes in him at the back end of a game. So Mm. it's definitely an area that he's improving. You criticise Fred a lot on this show. You're definitely not a fan of him. I think it's fair (laughs) to say that. You say he's not good enough for Manchester United. Who is he good enough for? What sort of level do you think Fred should be playing at? For me, Fred is a bottom of the Premier League kind of player for me. You probably see him in the likes of Crystal Palace or or a Leeds or a Wolves. I don't see him as being a Champions League championship winning midfielder. I just don't think he's got it, James. And it's difficult. It hurts me to say that because I want Manchester United to win like the next man. And I support every shirt that, that comes onto the field. But sometimes you just think, have we got it wrong here? Why why did we sign that? Why did we sign him? I know obviously money is money is money and you only have options uh, and you're hoping we can rectify that. And I suppose when you look back at all the players that Manchester United have had to let have you know have let go over the last uh, sort of two and three years, um and we've got better players that have come in, so maybe he is the end of that cycle. We'll have to wait and see. No, certainly. He could, he could well be on his way out any time soon. And do you, think, do you think the style of English football suits him? Or do you see him moving abroad? Do you think he'd stay? And Would he want to play for a Wolves or a Crystal Palace? Or would he want to go back over into the heat and play for a European team? I think he'll go. I think he'll go back to Brazil, or he'll he'll go into Europe. Because I think he, when you give him space, he's okay. Because he's 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 got that. His first touch isn't the, isn't the greatest. So what they do is teams press him, and they know there's an error in him. So with European football, it's less kick and rush, less sort of push push, push, attack. A lot more time for players to express themselves. That's why some players sort of uh, get better in Europe because obviously they've got that uh, extra space and extra time to, to play. Um, you know, you, you've got so many examples like Memphis Depay. He's another one at United. Couldn't, couldn't deal with the speed, couldn't deal with the physicality. Uh, and now look at him tearing tearing trees up in, uh, is it France? it could well be Rob but anyway moving on to Manchester City they've got a fixture against Burnley and that's probably a lot easier than Manchester United's fixture isn't it yeah I think think with Burnley is they're they're a very 
uh, hard-working team. You've got the likes of Chris Wood up front, who you know makes the defenders know he's there. And Manchester City have to be wary of his physical threat. Um, Manchester City with Pep Guardiola can play great football. You know, pass and move football opens up teams like like you won't believe. But we know the way Burnley play are direct, they're physical. So if Man City don't deal with that presence, they might be in a bit of bother, especially because they're at home. Because Man uh, Burnley know that they'll they're looking for a point, they'll defend, and it's up to City to break them down. And if Burnley can hit him on a counter attack, Pep Guardiola's men might struggle. We'll have to wait and see. There's lots of games, but like I said, with the United example, James, if you want to win a championship, you beat Burnley at home, and that's that's a given. Um, like if you want to win, you beat Leicester away, and it's and it's championship winning teams are able to win games, and that's why and that's why they end up being champions. Most certainly, you do have to have that winning mentality, and a team we're questioning that over at the moment is Salford because they've been struggling quite badly in League Two. They've done it a little bit better over the last few weeks, but a fixture against Hartlepool, this is one they should win, isn't it? Yeah, they should do really, James. You know, like you said, Gary Bowyer's men have have had a few, you know, really, really disappointing weeks. The hierarchy at Salford will be looking at this league table and think we need our team to be up near the top competing. They've had a few, you know, disappointing results early on the season, but you know, there's time to turn it around. It's only October. You know, there's plenty of games to come. Games will come thick and fast, won't they, James, in the next sort of, uh, you know, month or so. And if, if Salford can find a bit of form, find a, bit, find a few goals, find a few wins, they'll creep up that league. And then when they get towards the playoff spot, anything can happen. And if you're still in the fight, sort of come sort of February, March time next year, that's when you really can turn up the, uh, the enthusiasm uh, and the pressure because your team's alert, you know, your team might go all the way. Most certainly. I mean, that time, that Christmas time, is, I mean, it's magical for all of us at home watching the football, but I can't imagine what it's like for the players because it must be such a taxing time on the body, spending time away from your family at that brilliant time of year. And do you think it's the hardest time of the football season? I'd say so, James. I think um, with the football, it's not like it used to be because obviously these footballers are highly strung athletes aren't they and you know muscles on muscles and they eat the, eat the right things and they drink the right things they sleep at the right times uh not like it was 30 40 years ago 50 years ago when they're eating sunday lunch uh you know the day before like and the afternoon like a roast to you know two hours before kickoff techno you know health and technology has moved on so really players are like racehorses now so to to be able to play sort of two games in three days or whatever it is over Christmas, they probably are better suited for that. But football is different now than it was then. It's far more speed orientated. There's more kind of ACL injuries, more twisting involved and things like that. And that's the thing they've got to be wary of in playing these games in quick succession, that players' muscles and players' joints and sort of over sort of exerted and that's when injuries come uh yeah let's do it one two three now moving on rob we're gonna have a quick look at that premier league table and arsenal still stand in 11th place in the bottom half do you foresee them 
improving throughout the season. Of course, we've got a game coming up against Crystal Palace, and that's one they'll go into as favourites. Do you still feel there's an outside chance they could get Europe, or do you feel like they're too far out? Well, Arsenal spent a lot of money, haven't they, in the uh, in the off season, and does. Arsenal's sort of board expect a mid-table finish. I doubt it. I've I've got a feeling when they get their act together, they'll go on a run. Will it be enough to reach a Champions League place? They're only four points off it now, so it's not panic stations just yet, James. But Arteta will need to find a way to grind results out because that's like I've said, it sounds like a broken record here, James. If you want to be competing in a, in a champion Champions League or a Championship uh, winning team, you've got to win games you're not supposed to win, and that's and that is a thing with Arsenal is they struggle against teams. They're not they struggle against teams where they should be a bit like when United were chasing that first title. They always used to get beat against teams they should win, and then they always used to win games against likes of Liverpool. And the reason they never won a championship was because they lost to QPR at home or they lost to Sunderland at home. And I feel that's what Arsenal are at the moment. That team that, you know, don't win games they should win and uh, win games that they shouldn't. And having a look now, we've got Brighton and Brentford, surprisingly, in the top 10. Hmm. Which of them, come the end of the season, do you think could still maybe be in and around that position? Well, I think Brentford are a funny team. Um, play some good football. They've come up from the Championship, full of enthusiasm, and they're riding that wave at the moment, aren't they, James? They've got a good result against Liverpool uh, you know, in, in the first uh, week of the season. Uh, and... That is, you know, testament to to that team and 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 the club because obviously they're living the dream, aren't they? Um, Brentford, uh, and they've just come into the Premier League. They're still finding a way. Brighton, Brentford, sorry, remind me a bit of Leeds last year. That you know the fans are, are excited. The players can play some some good football. Brighton have been in the Premier League now for is it a couple of seasons? A few seasons. They know, you know what what to do to win. So I've got a feeling that as the season goes on, they will probably drop down and their um, their thing will be just let's survive because that's what Brighton are really. They're a kind of mid to bottom uh, fodder kind of team. So they'll be looking uh, at survival. Uh, so let them, let them just enjoy the 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 you know the top uh, of the Premier League at the moment. Uh, and the more games they win now uh, is is better than better because there's less games to win later. Most certainly. And then we look at the top four, Chelsea, Liverpool, City, United, the four teams that we both picked at the start of the season yeah. to make the top four. And it's become reality. Do you think come the end, they'll be the teams that stand at the top four like we predicted? Or do you think maybe an Everton or a Tottenham could still sneak their way in there? I think with the Premier League, James, it's it's a fantastic league. And it's not just you know, the big two or the big three anymore. You could have the the top six, really. Uh, Everton are on the coattails. Tottenham are only two points behind United in fourth at the moment. So, you know, these places can interchange at the moment. You, you'll see these teams, the likes of Chelsea, Liverpool, City, United, winning. They'll, they'll win every week. And it's can Everton and Tottenham get into that mentality of being able to grind results out? Because that's that's the thing that, that makes you're a top six side or a top four side. And then it comes down to how you go against other teams and not dropping points that you should win. 
Most certainly. And looking at some of the other sides in there, West Ham 9th, Aston Villa 10th. And I know they went down a few seasons ago, but if you look back a decade in the Gabby Bonglahor, Darren Ben era, hmm. Aston Villa were a real force and they were on the cusp of Champions League qualification. Do you think in coming years they can get back to that level again? I think with Aston Villa, they're, they're, a, they're a big club. They won the European Cup, Aston Villa. So they're not they're not like a... They should really be English football royalty, really. And they probably were on the verge, like you said, of breaking into that sort of top three, top four, top five. But, like you said, relegation. They've lost Jack Grealish. It's a long way back in it to, to, to the heavy heights of, of top fours. But I'm sure they will graft hard. They will win games. Um, and are probably, they're probably looking at a top eight finish, Aston Villa, and then they can kick off from there. What do you think? I think so. I think they'll come in the top eight. I think... Brighton will probably drop out. Maybe Brentford will too. And I think there's a good opportunity for Aston Villa to make that top eight and be on the cusp of Europa League qualification and maybe next season potentially push on for it. But switching now to the bottom of the table, we've got Norwich, Newcastle and Burnley. And with the 18th and 19th place teams there, Burnley and Newcastle, there could be a way out. But for me, all ceiling long, Norwich have looked pretty poor. And I foresee them probably finishing bottom of the table. I'd say so, James, with 20 seconds to go. I think Norwich will go down. There's always one club that struggles in the Premier League. And for me, it's going to be Norwich. I don't think they'll score enough goals uh, to stay in the Premier League, um, which is a shame because they're a good club. Uh, but unfortunately, they won't have enough, I don't think, in the attacking-wise score. Uh, big thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat on Salford City Radio. <laughs>